when we create visuals, it allows our people to connect the dots between where they are and where they want to be. If we want to have the fullest expression of life, uh, most expansive, most experiential version of the human condition, we must incorporate art and creativity. In every organization on the planet that has more than two employees, there is someone who is creative. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And my name is Paul Fairweather. And Chris and I are on a mission to lift the lid, lift the veil, open the door or the window to creativity in life and business through the lens of ideas, stories and visual communication. I don't think you could get a better example of that in practice than with today's amazing guest, Joey Coleman. Uh, a lawyer, a coach, a singer, a watercolorist, um, an author, um, a person who embodies creativity, I think, in every fiber of his body and manages to apply it to the world of business, um, particularly thinking about visual uh, side of creative. If you can show somebody something, then they believe in it and then they'll, they'll buy. Yeah, Chris, incredibly inspiring, uh, incredibly talented, intelligent, articulate, um, if he wasn't such a great guest, I think I'd hate him. Uh, but uh, look, fabulous stories, such a talent. And not just a talent, but you know what he is doing about basically empowering both businesses, about clients, employees. Uh, the work he's doing is fantastic. But his approach, his creative approach is absolutely inspiring. Well, now I'm going to say, encourage you to listen through to the end. Listen for his insight about taking risks yeah. and how it brings joy. That's at the end. Yes, yes. Get past the first 100 seconds and listen <laughs> right to the end. Let's get Joey on now to the Common Creative Podcast. Joey Coleman, welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Oh, gentlemen, Chris, Paul, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. And thanks to everybody who's listening in. So appreciate the opportunity and the invitation to come on your fantastic show. Joey, we're super excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, our listeners are about to hear the many, many different things that you've done in doing. Why don't we start right there? Do you want to we jump in with that question? Because Paul and I have struggled to this to describe the many different things you do. Do you want to give us a quick pot history? In less than 15 hours, because I think that's how we're to do it. Hey, John, if I could just add, if you could actually focus on the first 100 seconds um, to capture to <laughs> capture the, the audience's attention, okay? I love it. Let's see if we can do this in 100 seconds. I'll try to describe my professional career. Eclectic as can be, and then we can dive deep into whichever part sounds interesting. So I went to university and studied government and international relations. Straight away, I found myself headed to law school where I studied international law, litigation, and national security law. While I was in law school, I had the opportunity to work for the United States Secret Service, the White House Office of Counsel to the President, and the Central Intelligence Agency. 
After that, I worked for a business consulting group, basically a for-profit think tank called the Corporate Executive Board, doing Fortune 500 business consulting. After that, I was a criminal defense lawyer for five years in the courtroom, four to five days out of the week. After that, I taught at the postgraduate level, mostly night MBA school. I then ran a division of a promotional products company. I then started and ran an ad agency for over 15 years that focused on brand experience and brand identity design. And after all of that, segued into being a full-time speaker and writer in the space of customer experience and employee experience. I think that's less than 100 seconds, so I'll grab 20 more to say that while some may look at that career and say, oh my gosh, Joey couldn't hold down a job, I would posit that instead it was any time I left a job, it's not because I didn't like that job, it's because I found another job that I liked doing even more. Fantastic. Now, look, we might unpack this as we go, but you left out that you're an accomplished singer, uh, a tanner, I believe, and an accomplished watercolor artist. And I think there's some other things in there as well. A father of two, one of seven, so there's more things. But well done. You certainly captured the audience. I'm, I'm sure they're going to be with us for the next uh, next episode. Paul's question, 100 seconds for our listeners, was a, a subtle joke. Uh, Joey has um, a business which is all about the first 100 days of, uh, of joining a company and helping businesses retain their employees. Joey, my question is, are you not the worst possible advert for your business? Because you've done so many different things. If you'd only ever had one job, I'd believe <laughs> Well, Well, the good news is, Chris, I've stayed at all of those jobs for longer than 100 days, which puts me in rarefied air because the typical employee, if we look just at employee research, 40% of employees will quit their new employer before the one-year anniversary. And over half of those will quit in the first 100 days. So the fact that I stayed put me into that rarefied air of one that would actually stay for any appreciable amount of time. But you're right. This is the challenge that so many business leaders have. Not only how do we recruit and find the top talent to join our organization, but more importantly, how do we keep them engaged? How do we keep them retained? How do we get them to stay with us for the long term? And the research shows that if you get those first 100 days right, if on day 101, you ask an employee, are you loving this? Are you feeling connected? Are you feeling like this is a good fit for you? The typical employee will stay for more than three years. Now, in this day and age, getting someone to stay for more than three years is often all we can expect. And it's definitely what we need. Joey, I just wanted to, uh, it's going to be sort of a, a, a quick sort of connection. Um, I saw in one of your videos, you had a t-shirt that said, I draw every day. Um, now, I, I don't want to sidetrack with this 100 days, but you know, I, I want to sort of know that I want to draw the connection between your creativity and what you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, Paul, I am a visual learner and I try to be a visual teacher as well. So one of the things that has been a ongoing uh, discussion, conflict, I mean discussion uh, with my publisher has been the number of pictures that I include in my books. Uh, when I present on stage, the typical presenter on stage might have 30, 40 slides in an hour-long presentation. I'm regularly cresting over 200 slides in an hour-long presentation, mainly because I believe from a creativity point of view that if we stimulate the eyes, while we're stimulating the ears, we increase the likelihood that our message sinks into the soul. And so that's what I'm always trying to do as a creative, as an artist who happens to speak and consult for a living, is to pair visual and auditory experiences with 
the teachings that I'm trying to convey to my audiences. I'd love to hear more about that, Joey, because I think we heard from one of our guests, uh, we've spoken to a lot of neuroscientists, that about half of the real estate of the brain is given over to visual recognition, not, not auditory, certainly not reading words, which our brains aren't geared up for. I mean, is that a lesson for everybody? Or do you just think that, you say you're a visual l- learner, are we in fact all visual learners? Or is it, is it just that there's a few of us like Paul, me, and indeed you, who are, are biased I, I think you're absolutely right, and I'll defer to the neuroscientists to dive deep into this topic. But yes, more than half the brain is devoted to visual. And if you ask people cognitively, do you prefer to learn visually, auditorially, or kinesthetically? And there's a whole discussion and debate about whether those are really that different. But for purposes of our arguments, let's say that they're all valuable and important ways to learn. Depending on whose research you look at, over 70% of people will say that they are visual learners first. And yet here's what happens. We go to an event, we go to a training, and we have someone reading to us. We have someone telling us what we should do instead of showing us. There's very little kinesthetic, but more importantly, there's very little visual play into most teaching opportunities. So that's why I try to drive so much visually. In fact, if I may, a quick story. As I mentioned, I'm a recovering attorney. So I understand uh, the importance of a contract, a legal agreement when you're having two business entities uh, interact with each other. Years ago, I had a company, this is when I was running my agency, come to me and they were a solar company. Their business was placing solar panels on tops of car washes to basically use solar power to power the car wash. And they had this whole business and this, there were solar renewable energy credits involved and there were air rights and real estate rights for the roof versus the land and there were leasing agreements and it was quite complicated, their system. And it was a 12-page contract that had been written by lawyers that having attended a top 20 law school in the United States, I struggled to understand let alone the typical car wash owner, who, by the way, pro tip here, has not gone to law school. So they came to me and they're like, Joey, we're only converting about 10% of our sales pitches. What can we do? And I said, let's take your 12-page contract and turn it into a two-page contract. The first page will be a picture. The second page will be more pictures with a little more text. And on the first page, what we showed on the left side of the page was a graphical representation of their car wash with no solar panels and then the breakdown of how much they were paying for their energy every month. And on the second half of the front page was that same graphical image or interpretation of their car wash, but now with solar panels on top, showing them how much they would pay if they had the solar panels. When they flipped this over, it detailed what the implementation would be, how much it would cost, how long it would last, all the fine details of the agreement. They rolled it out. They went from converting 10% of their sales calls to converting 90% of their sales calls. Same sales force, same type of clients they were meeting, jumping from 10% to 90%. Why? I would posit because they made their case using pictures and creativity instead of using text and logic. I think it's a huge lesson. Everyone in business, a business has learned the language of dot points and graphs and ah, long jargony words. I think there's a lesson there for 
everyone in business. I'm fascinated to learn more about any linkages that may be between the creative Joey and the business Joey, because clearly as a singer, a watercolorist, there's a strong creative streak there. We've heard one powerful implication, which is about images to communicate something. Are there other lessons that we can, what other ways you apply your creative spirit in the world of business? Well, Chris, I appreciate that. I take that as high praise and a compliment. So thank you for that. You know, it's interesting. I, I give a lot of credit to my parents. And I think as a result, some of the things they did when I was growing up allow me to flip a light switch between my left and right brain as easily as one would flip a light switch in their home. It's not a big thought for me of now it's time to be creative or now it's time to be analytical. I just toggle the switch back and forth all day, every day. Where I give them credit is when I was a senior in high school, getting ready for my last year of high school, my father thought that it would be useful for me to take calculus. My mother thought it would be useful for me to take independent study art. And as is the case in many homes, uh, when people are wanting to actually produce the greatest outcome, you listen to the mother, not the father. And I ended up taking independent study art. And what that taught me and what that reinforced for me at a very young age, Chris, is that if we want to have the fullest expression of life, if we want to live the most colorful, uh, most expansive, most experiential version of the human condition, we must incorporate art and creativity into our daily practice, whether that is visual arts, whether those are physical arts, whether that is music, the auditory arts, we need to surround ourselves with these type of experiences because it will allow our subconscious brain to work on the analytical challenges we are facing from a more unique or more creative lens or bent. Um, that's fascinating that art allows that rational, though the analytical side of the brain to flourish by doing absolutely fascinating, great, again, an advert for doing something, you know, maybe it's painting, maybe it's singing, so as to let that rational side of the brain Flourish. I thought, so, uh, Joey, I, I have a, I, I've um, coined a phrase that I call pragmativity, which is just, um, you know, from pragmatic to the creative. And it was basically after my father, because my father was an engineer his whole career, but he bookended it, bookended it with doing painting, you know, beginning in the after. But during his career, you know, whilst he he was a high high sort of executive in a in the local government, three thousand people underneath him. He was still incredibly creative in these woodwork and things like that. So yeah, so you, you're certainly uh, you're preaching to the converted with Chris and I. Uh, Chris is a photographer um, as well. So, but yeah, I, I love I love the way that you've explained that uh, through your own experience. Well, I appreciate that, Paul. One thing I might add, if I may, is for anybody who's listening or watching who desires to be more creative but has a story, and let's be candid, it's usually a story, that they are not creative. They are not artistic. They are not capable of these things. We can define creativity in any number of ways. We can define artistic expression in any number of ways. It doesn't have to be in the traditional, can you draw an apple? Can you paint a flower? You know, those are valuable. Can you sing a song? All of those things are valuable and useful and wonderful expressions, 
But uh, one of the things that I think allows for creativity that I've done with clients before is bringing a Lego set to the meeting and saying, let's just build with some Lego. It usually feels less daunting than a blank canvas. It usually feels less frightening than a microphone and sing along on the karaoke. And what it allows people to do is do something that as humans, we fundamentally understand. In almost every culture on the planet, children are given blocks, colorful blocks that they build towers with, houses with, entire landscapes with. This is something that I would posit is genetic in our biological code as human beings. And yet for some reason, usually through school and work, we begin to believe a story that we're not creative. Everyone is creative. And all you need to do, in my opinion, is tap into that biological essence that's already there that may have been lying dormant for a while and just find a way to express it. Jimmy, let me jump in with this fear that I think a lot of people, particularly in business, have that creatives are scary. They're going to make me do something I'm not comfortable with, or they're going to make introduce a level of um, confusion into the business. Because we've got a little system here, we know what we're doing, and you're going to disrupt that. And, and so in my mind, I can see these Lego blocks appearing, a bunch of serious business people, and the reaction, oh, no, our worst fears are not. How do you overcome that natural trepidation a lot of people have to expressing themselves, to being creative? Well, I think there's two pieces of that puzzle, Chris. One is the medium which you use. And number two, the out the desired outcomes or goals that you've stated. Let's go first to the medium, if I may. If I were to say to everybody, hey, we're going to have a microphone and everybody get up and sing karaoke, there's a <laughs> small group of people that would be willing to do that, but a much larger group that would be very terrified by that premise. Whereas if I put some building blocks or some Legos in front of you, it's not as threatening. So that's why I like some of those tools. Even something as simple as using colored post-it notes. Instead yeah. of one color post-it note, we're going to have 12 different colors and we're going to give everyone a different color and go around and do the brainstorming exercise, but you use your color. Or better yet, we're going to have three colors for everyone. A red color for an idea that you're scared to write down and you don't have to put your name on it. A green idea and a green post-it note for something that you think would be very easy for the organization to do. And a yellow post-it note for something you're not exactly sure whether or not they would do it. We're giving okay. people the opportunity to have small expressions of creativity with the medium we're using. Now let's shift to that second piece of that. What is the desired outcome? I think one of the biggest challenges facing humans today, whether we are thinking of our personal context or our professional context, is we have over-indexed on this idea that it must be done perfectly and it must be done as quickly as possible. I have the pleasure of speaking to students at university all over. And one of the things that often comes up in those conversations is they say, I want the job fresh out of school that will pay me $100,000 a year, give me three months paid vacation, the amazing title so that I can afford the BMW and live in the penthouse apartment. And it's like, actually, you don't want that. And maybe that's easier for me to say on the other side of 50 than it was on the underside <laughs> of 25. But you want the chase. You want the failure. You want to. And, and I think we have this thought of, you know, we, we have the, the cliches of, you know, fail fast and fail often and do, do, do. 
but yet we don't reward that behavior in our society. Uh, with my team, when we do something wrong, I celebrate it. I celebrate it as an opportunity to learn because here's the thing, guys. I used to work in a world in several of my jobs where failure might result in either death or lifelong imprisonment. Yeah, when I was a criminal defense lawyer, if I misspoke, someone could go to prison for the rest of their life. Now, yeah. as a business speaker, if I misspeak, well, maybe you don't sell as many widgets next month, or maybe you lose more employees when you were hoping not to. You know, there are consequences, and I don't mean to diminish those, but it's not prison or death. I think yeah. we could all benefit from resetting our perspective on what failure actually is. And realizing that most of the things that we think are these earth-shattering failures, five years from now, we'll be hard-pressed to remember, let alone feel the impact. <laughs> Even the success is hard-pressed to remember. Joey, you, you consult businesses on how to attract and retain employees. That's a big thrust of what you're doing right now. I'd love to know if you've spotted a link between an employee's ability to create and express themselves at work and retention. I mean, we, we're beating the drum for creativity as an engine for growth, but is creativity an engine for employee retention? I would say 100% yes. We are living in an era where it's not enough for the typical employee, not all employees, but for the majority of employees, it is not enough to come to work, punch a clock, do the repetitive task and leave. I would posit that was never enough. Yeah. Well, we certainly had an industrial revolution era where we had a belief that that was enough, or at least we forced people into a belief or an understanding that that's enough. Human beings want fulfillment. Human beings want experience. And in fact, if we look at the most, uh, when, when we look at the reason why people leave, okay, the typical research that is done on why an employee quits, why they leave, is based on a sample set of somewhere between 300 and 500 exit interviews. That's kind of the industry standard globally. And if you know anything about statistics, you know that a study based on three to 500 respondents is probably not a study we should put a lot of hope and faith <laughs> behind, okay? Not to be critical of any of those folks, it's just not statistically relevant. In researching my newest book, Never Lose an Employee Again, I found some work that had been done by an organization called the Work Institute, where they interviewed 234,000 employees that were leaving. Okay? 234,000, right? So quarter of a million people compared to the 200 to 300 that's usually interviewed. This was the differential. And they asked them, why did they leave? Why did they quit? The single largest answer that represented 23% of the respondents, they left because they couldn't see a future for themselves in this organization. They didn't have a clear visual of what their path forward was, okay? And what's fascinating is there's a company that came along and figured out a solution to this problem. I profile them in the book. They're one of 50 case studies from all seven continents, including a bunch from Australia that we profiled in the book. And what we found is that this company came up with something called the future org chart. 
Almost, when I say an org chart or an organizational chart, almost everybody listening has an image pop into their mind of little boxes with lines between them detailing who's in charge, what is the yeah. visual hierarchy, okay? We're all familiar. Exactly. I said org chart, and your brain immediately presented that image. So how do we solve for this problem? Well, the future org chart is the organizational chart that the CEO envisions the company having three years from now. It includes boxes for divisions that may not even exist, positions we haven't even posted the job listing for, let alone hired for. But what it allows a new employee or an existing employee to do is look at a piece of paper and say, there is a space for me in the future in this organization. There's an opportunity for growth, an opportunity to try a different division, a different role, a different function, because I know they're trying to hire for this job in the future. When we create visuals, it allows our people to connect the dots between where they are and where they want to be. That's the word I'm hearing from you loud and clear is when they can see, you did say, can they can sense it when they can see it? It's, it's the eyes need to see that. And when the employees can see that, be it written down or perhaps in their imagination, then they know that something there for them. It struck me that word, you know, a vision of the future is all about what you see with your eyes, not what you hear, not what you touch, what you taste. It's something you see with your eyes. Chris, yes, we've heard the message with visual learners. Exactly. And, and the last point I'll make on this is, and you don't, again, you don't have to just take Joey's research. Look at research from across industries. Uh, there's a magazine called Architectural Digest. It's a global publication, okay? The number one best-selling issue of Architectural Digest every year, year in and year out for decades, has been their before and after issue, where they show a picture of the house before and then they show a picture of the house remodeled after. All the advertisements for gyms, for weight loss pills, for anything involving health shows you a picture of before and a picture of after. Why? Because most human beings are horrible, horrible at imagining what the future will be unless we show them. And the second we show them, it becomes so much easier for them. Not only do they believe it's possible, but they can start to imagine a path from where they're at to where they want to be. Um, Johnny, look, that's actually fascinating. And I, I love the way you described that as seeing the picture of where they are and where they might possibly go as, as, as the hook, I suppose. But it's more than just a hook. It's really about their future. I just wanted to take a quick switch um, to your earlier book and your earlier work work about retaining customers um, and again with, with this lens of you know creativity you know is, is it about co-designing their experience like what is, what is the key element you know in that is it a similar thing like about you know just just yeah give us a, a view of, on that absolutely Paul I mean at the end of the day whether we're talking about employees or we're talking about customers we're talking about humans yeah. And all of my work hinges on basic human psychology and biology. Why do humans behave the way they behave? And what can we do to convince, encourage, suggest that they might try something different? Look at the way the typical organization presents its product or service in their sales and marketing messaging. Imagine what it would feel like if you could wake up fully rested. 
Imagine what it would feel like if you could run uh, like the wind. Imagine what it could feel like if when you drove, all eyes looked at you. I mean, these are all the language and the, and the terminology and the phraseology we use in our advertisements to try to convince people this is the product we want. And part of our sales process often is showing them what it would look like. Here's what it would look like if your website had a different landing page. Here's what it would look like if you were wearing this shirt that you just bought. There's a huge movement uh, in the world of uh, incorporating technology to have dressing rooms where you can go in and stand in front of the mirror and toggle through buttons showing you wearing the different outfits and colors. We're again trying to show people what life with us is like. And the reason customers stay is because they feel that they're achieving the goal they had when they originally made the purchase. So many businesses will do a quarterly business review where they'll meet with a client who's a longstanding client and say, hey, over the last three months, here's all the work we've done for you and here have been the results. When that is presented as a spreadsheet, it usually doesn't result in continuation of the retainer. When it is presented as a slide deck, or a conversation, suddenly everyone gets excited. Why? Because people want to see things visually. They want to learn. They want the creative expression of how something has worked. I mean, look at Steve Jobs when he rolled out the iPod. He didn't say it's this many gigabytes. It's this many. He said, it's like having a thousand songs in your pocket. We could immediately envision what that would be. Wait a minute, Joey. A thousand songs in my pocket? That's a visual creative description that led to a complete revolution about how we listen to and store music globally. And I, I think that's an answer to, to the, the question I mind is, if, if I'm, I'm imagining people listening, thinking, yeah, yeah, I, I completely buy all this stuff. But the truth of the matter is, Joey's a bit of a freak. He knows how to do things visually and all that stuff. And a mortal like me could never start down half. And so my question was going to be: How can how can listeners do something do something for themselves without kind of the the amazing background? Me immortals. Me immortals, Joey. Me immortals. Yes. Gentlemen, you're you're too kind. Chris, I'll give you the first half is right. I am definitely a freak. okay? but I do believe this is attainable by anyone. Here's the thing in every organization on the planet that has more than two employees, there is someone who is creative. You can't have a human being without having someone who's creative. Now, I get that there are many people that would say, well, Joey, I'm not as creative as you, or I'm not a creative in the same way. I don't want you to be creative in the same way. I want you to be creative in your way. This is the genius of the human condition. We have thousands of painters and tens of thousands of different canvases. We have thousands of musicians and tens of thousands of different songs. This is not about do you follow the method that the previous people have followed? This is, are you willing to tap into what's already inside you and let it into the world without judgment or censorship? See, I think the problem is not that we lack creativity. 
The problem is that we fear that our creative expression is not going to achieve the result we want. And we have whoever it was in our life to blame for this who said trees aren't blue or the sun isn't green or clouds aren't pink or whatever it was. There was someone, whether that was a teacher, whether that was a a classmate, whether there was someone who made your expression of creativity bad that we we need to we need to get rid of that we need to push past that and i think in any organization you can get around and say who's the most creative person on the team as a general rule the team will agree on someone and then you say to that person if i allowed you to start with a blank canvas and you were to redesign our sales process our marketing materials our factory floor layout our office layout, any any aspect of our business, you were able to redesign it, what would you do? In most organizations, that person already has a dozen ideas. They're just waiting for permission. Joey, I'm just interested in the work that you do when you speak. And and this, a lot of the um, feedback we get from guests is that they love this show because they get to talk about the creative aspects of it, you know, like to sort of unpack the creativity behind it rather than you know, what delivering what they deliver, which, you know, they can't see, can't see under the bonnet, basically. Do you unpack this creativity when you're speaking with your people? Or is this something that sets your knowledge that you use uh, to, you know, persuade or deliver? I'm just interested. I, I, I try to do both. I try to, I try to have my own life be an expression of creativity. I try to constantly push the envelope on my own approach to doing business. Um, I've never given the same speech twice even though I've given thousands and thousands of speeches and I hope to never give the same speech twice. I'm always trying new stories, new examples, delivering it from a different place on stage, a different visual, a different auditory cue or clue that I put into the presentation. I'm always trying to explore those things. And one of the things, and maybe it's partially because I've reached this point in my career, but also because I was willing to do this even when I hadn't reached this part of my career is to take risks and to say, I have but one chance. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell a quick story since you asked about singing <laughs> that I think is maybe a story that um, I would encourage anyone to see what is the parallel in your own life, even if you've never been a singer. So I had the opportunity in college to sing with the University of Notre Dame Men's Glee Club, an all-men qu- male choir. We would travel around the world singing. And we happened to be in Europe on our first night of our European tour. We were performing in Rome. We were at a beautiful, beautiful cathedral. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. Ceilings as high as the eye could see. You could drop a coin and it would reverberate for minutes off of all the walls. I mean, it was unbelievable. And we're standing in the back getting ready to go on. And some of us are looking out the curtain to see this is the first stop on our European tour. And gentlemen, I kid you not, I looked out into the audience and there were six people, six people in the audience. Now, six people, if you've booked a telephone booth, feels fantastic. <laughs> if you've booked a cathedral in Rome, feels like the cleaning crew is bigger than six people. What is going on? <laughs> and so the murmur starts amongst the members of the choir. Oh, this is a terrible start. Oh, this, look at what a failure. We didn't sell enough tickets. Oh, and we should have done a better job. Our partners should have done a better job. This is a horrible do-do-do. And all this murmur. And you just feel the energy sinking. 
This is minutes before we go on stage. And we gathered, and one of the gentlemen in the group, who interestingly enough was a poet by nature, he said, gentlemen, I know some of you have heard that there are only six people in the audience. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the rumor and everybody's kind of gruffly responding. He said, but I'd like to ask you this. How many of those people do you think have ever heard us sing before? Well, probably none of them. None of them. He said, great. How many do you think ever will, after tonight, have the chance to hear us again? Oh, wow, pro probably none of them. He said, what if this was the one moment where we could go on stage with the goal of when these people on there are on their deathbed, they say, the finest sound I ever heard was one night in a cathedral in Rome where a group of American boys came and sang like angels. And I think about that, Paul and Chris, often. When I'm taking a stage, when I'm presenting a report, when I'm doing a podcast interview, when I'm on a phone call with a client, what can I do to make this the most memorable conversation of their day or their week or their month or their year, or if I'm really lucky, their life. We have this opportunity every time we interact with another human. It's just up to us as to whether or not we want to take it. Joey, um, that is a, a fantastic way to bring it to a close. You, you, you said killed up my spine and I'm actually thinking, you know, uh, about how I might interact with other humans today. That That is a fantastic uh, story and message, uh, sensational. Joey, it has been an absolute delight, pleasure, such great fun speaking with you. I, I wish we could go on and on and maybe we might turn, turn the mic off and keep on going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Joey. A huge pleasure. I think I've got to go to Rome and sing in the cathedral to the cleaning staff. <laughs> Wonderful pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, well, Paul and Chris, thank you so much for having me on the show. And thanks to everybody who was kind enough to listen in. I hope you've at least considered what it would be like to take a little bit of a risk and try to express some of your creativity, whether that's in your personal life or your professional life. What I can promise you is that on the other side of that risk is joy. On the other side of that risk is beauty. On the other side of that risk is the kind of experience that your soul, that your biology, that your cells are desiring to live. I hope you'll give it a try. Fantastic. Chris. Wow, that was amazing. Uh, it was both fun and profound and heartwarming to hear his stories and his personal experience about creativity. And um, both you and I are visual artists when we're not podcasting or business people. There is a person that's kind of brought that into his, his practice and draw out such valuable lessons for us about taking risks for example. and Chris I've got to say and we, we sort of did that little joke about 1,100 seconds for his uh, potted history and whilst you know we get all our guests to give a little potted history uh, some of them uh, are pretty big pots you know, they tend to wander around and you know there's different pots but oh my god that was the most concise biography that I think I ever heard, although he didn't talk about his singing and his art. But besides that, but yeah, look, his insights, his passion, everything about it was just fantastic. I hope the listeners uh, got as much out of listening to it as you and I did in uh, speaking with Joey. 
yeah, we'd love to hear from you if you're listening in, thinking about the points he's made about showing things, being more creative in the workplace, about taking risks, about using creativity to help the rational side of your brain come to life. We'd love to hear from you. Please share your feedback um, in the comments of the podcast. Drop Paul or I a line. Um, and of course, share the news. Give us a rating if it's a five out of five. We'd love that. Um, but share the news about this podcast. I think we're really sort of riding a, a wave here of unlocking creatives in the workplace. And I think the more people that find out, the better the world will be, the better business. Yeah, I look, I agree, Chris. And I think particularly Joey, you know, he is a combination of a lot of different points of view that we've had. We've had CEOs, we've had creatives, we have people, you know, like Joey who, who bridge between those. But he really does bridge the gap between, you know, creativity through the lens of idea stories and visual communication. Uh, he is our new pinup boy. He is. See you for the next week's episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Ciao for now. <laughs>